Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 39 through chapter 12, verse 4. The scripture will be on the screen in your worship folder. Pew Bibles or follow along in the Bible you have brought. So we begin at verse 29 of chapter 11. And all these things, though commended through their, excuse me, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Steve Straub. I am the uh, church planting apprentice here at Redeemer, Church of Redeemer. And um, this is actually my second opportunity to uh, share God's word with you. And I'm excited about this passage. Uh, The first time I spoke was a few weeks ago uh, out of chapter 4, which talked about uh, resting in God and uh, resting in his uh, provisions that he has for us, all that he provided for us. And... um, I probably did a pretty, pretty good job uh, pretending like I knew what I was talking about. But that was one of the hardest sermons I've ever preached, just because it's hard for me to rest. It, it really is. And um, this morning, we have a, a passage of scripture that if some of, most of you that have grown up in the church, you've, you, this is kind of one of the Hall of Fame uh, passages of scripture. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. Um, but if, you've li- if you're like me, you've probably heard some different opinions on what, what the writer is talking about. And um, I-, I was excited all week long, actually a few weeks ago, when Drew told me that I'd be um, handling this passage of Scripture, uh, just to dive in and, and, and go for it. I think um, one of the reasons why I love this passage of Scripture, too, it talks about sports. It talks about running. I'm a sports fan. Um, and I remember hearing this passage of scripture when I was younger uh, about talking about this race that, that we're in as, as Christians. And um, it went something like, the race starts with Jesus. You accept Christ into your life. Now you're on this, this race, this marathon uh, until the end. And, and there's a lot of truth in that, except it's kind of a half truth, because kind of what I grew up on hearing this passage of, of, of scripture taught is that, okay, now let's talk about this race. 
Let's really dive in and, and, and see what we do in, in this race. And so a lot of the things that I heard um, was, um, of course, read your Bible in, in this race. Uh, pray in this race. Share your faith in, in this race that you run, which, which are all great. Um, but also don't go to the movies. You, you're not allowed to go to the movies. Um, you have to attend Sunday night church which was huge for me because um, I, I learned how to be an um, idolater uh, uh, football fan. And, and football, most of the time, is on Sunday afternoons. And I was blessed kind of growing up in this kind of legalistic framework that most of the time the Miami Dolphins were on at 1 o'clock. And so we could get the game out of the way and then go to church. But there was occasion when the game was on at 4. They were playing a West Coast game and... I remember literally um, we would skip church to watch the game and the Dolphins would lose. And I'm like, we made God mad. That's, that's the bottom line. God is mad at us and, and he, the, the Dolphins lost. So um, no dancing, of course. Um, no cussing, no doing, uh, you know, all, all, all sorts of things. I think some of you know what I'm talking about. And this morning I want to encourage you, um, just like I, I'm trying to encourage myself on this walk with Christ, is that this is not what this passage is talking about. There is a fight, there is a struggle, there is a race that we are running, but it was already run for us. And we have some amazing things that we can tap into um, on this race that we're, that we're on. If you guys have studied anything about Paul, Paul the Apostle, Before he died, he made it clear that this view of his own life was a high view of the Christian life that everybody's called to live. And he says in 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And to explain, he said in verse 11, Flee the love of money. So flee all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And I love these two words that you kind of see repeatedly through his writings. It's, a, it's a, a description of fleeing and pursuing. And I'm a wrestling coach. I've been wrestling since I was uh, 10 years old. And, and we talk about, we, we have shirts made up. There's no rest in wrestling. Um, you, you see this in, in football, in, in baseball. Well, kind of in baseball. Um, but you see this, this, this kind of pursuing and, and, and fleeing in sports. And in wrestling, you, you flee, but, but it's not a flee where you're running away from your opponent because then you're going to look like a girl. Sorry, no offense. <laughs> there are girls that wrestle, and they're, they're pretty good. No, it's, it's, it's you're your fleeing from the guy that's, that's about to shoot on you or, or rip your head off. And so... It's a defense. You're on defense, but you're still moving. You're still reacting. And then there's pursuing. You're trying to take the guy down. In football, it's the same thing. On defense, you don't relax, especially if you're a defensive back or a safety, because you're going to get burned. They're going to score a touchdown. There's always this continuous going. And on offense, it's self-explanatory. You move. Paul knows nothing of relaxing in Christianity. 
Paul simply does not recognize Christianity, that it's not running a race and fighting the fight. I think the problem where we run into is how we define this action in this race. And so hopefully today uh, we're going to tackle some things that will help us with that. Uh, The three motivations for this race um, is what we're going to look at. And I think these motivations are are, are very uh, encouraging, very fitting for the type of life that we live in in this culture. And so what I want to do at this point is to try to uh, bring attention to what God calls us to do. Um, It's not these meaningless, really exhausting drills like if you're preparing for a race, I don't know if anybody's in here has been a, uh, in track or cross country, but kind of the pr- preparation for that race is you just run these 400s or 800s and you're just exhausted and, and it really doesn't feel like it's paying off. Um, God has something different in mind uh, in this race. The three motivations in this text are given in t- uh, the title of this message today. Um, the race, the fight of the race, looking back to witnesses is something that we're going to look at on, on how important that is. Looking up to Jesus, something that I just struggle so hard to do. Um, and looking forward to the joy that we have in this race. So let's tackle this first one. Number one, motivations for the race. Study and listen to former experienced runners. Study and listen to former experienced runners. This first motivation to run the race and fight the fight is seen here in verse 1. It says, since we are surrounded by such, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witnesses, as we run the race, there is a big, dense crowd of saints pressing in on this track. These saints are the people described in chapter 11 and all the other Christians since then that, we, that finished the race before us, they finish this race, circle around, and press into the crowd along this route that, that we're running. Now, how is that supposed to motivate us? Well, two ways. First, they are screaming at us, this is hard, but you can do this. My life is an example. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. I ran my first half marathon back in March, and my trainer, who was Jonathan Winfrey, (laughs) I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but um, he actually did an awesome job. And um, my escort, so to speak, in the race was my uncle. And it was very cool, really, training with, with Jonathan because he had just completed his first half marathon in January and he talked me into doing this thing. And, and every week when we would go on our long run, he would just kind of talk to me the whole entire time saying, listen, I know you're getting tired, but I promise you, you can do this. Look at me. All right. People said I couldn't do this. I was telling myself I couldn't do this and I did it. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. It was a motivation. It was listening to him coach me through this hard time of uh, running this race. And then at the race, um, my uncle was awesome. He showed up. He runs like 20 miles just for fun. And so he's weird. But um, he shows up at the race and he's like, hey, I'm going to run with you the whole entire time. And, you know, 
it was very encouraging, but at the same time, it was very humiliating because, like, he was, really? You're running that slow, really? Come on. Um, but he paced me the whole time. He just said, you know, at the beginning of the race, I'm running, and, and man, I'm feeling good. I'm saying hi to people who are running by. Hi, how are you doing? You know, and I, I think I'm so cool. And, you know, at the turnaround at six and a half, I'm like, this is nothing. And he kept telling me, listen, there is going to be a point in this race where it's just going to hit you. It's not going to be a fade. You're not going to slowly progress. You are literally, literally going to get hit by just an overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of, of tiredness. And he kept telling me all that and telling me all that. And then sure enough, like a mile later, I'm like, <gasps> you know, and I'm struggling. And he said, listen, if you can just get through these two miles, it'll go away. So the whole time I'm listening and listening and listening. And he's getting me through this race. We look at these examples also in, in Scripture. We see kind of the hall of faith that we talked about in chapter 11 last week. And we look at these individuals throughout Scripture of what they did and how they accomplished what they accomplished through God. And, and we can see that these are ordinary, ordinary men and women like you and I. We look and see examples of faith like Noah who was a drunk and he finished There was Jacob who was a liar and a mama's boy, and he finished. David who committed adultery and murder, and he finished. Peter, who was, well, just pick one. I mean, he was Peter, and he finished. So we can look at and tap into the fact that God promises us perseverance if we just press in to what he has accomplished for us already. The second way is found in um, verse 39 and 40 of chapter 11. I'm just going to read this again. And it says this. And all, the, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now, when you look at those two passages of scripture there, you're, you're kind of like, well, whoa, what, what's, what, is, what is that passage saying? What, what am I missing here? All these people mentioned in chapter 11 are cheering for us. Because what this verse is saying in um, verse 40, it says, God has provided something better. We are tapping into everything that they were looking forward to in the Old Testament. What we love to talk about because it gives us hope for a future one day, is we kind of live in this stage of life that's called the already but not yet, where we have this opportunity as Christians to help usher in the kingdom of God, because God, in Jesus Christ, has started this, this kingdom. We're part of his kingdom, and we're living in this life of expectation, confident expectation. That his kingdom is going to be perfected at the end of this race that we're running. I love how my um, professor in theology at um, Reformed Theological Seminary says it. His name is Dr. Swain and he says, The final perfected salvation, all of the saints who had gone before, the resurrection of the body, the reign of Jesus on the new earth, 
The restoration of all things will not happen without all the runners finishing the race. They're waiting. We're waiting. Think about that. So when we run this race, fight the persevere in faith, in love, and obedience. And that sounds so cool. But how? But how? How do we persevere with faith, love, How do we persevere with this anthem in our lives called the gospel? It brings me to my next point. Probably the hardest of these points. Looking to the champion of this race, Jesus. This word champion. It's a word that literally talks about a representative. You hear in boxing, he's the people's champion. We see it in scripture, especially in the story of David and Goliath. What David accomplished by being the champion of Israel is he accomplished the champion for Israel. Israel was a champion because David stepped up and fought Goliath, the champion of his clan, and beat him. And I love how we can look at stories like that. And and you can pick numerous stories throughout the Old Testament. And really what that was, was a whisper of the true champion, Jesus. And we can see how God orchestrated this just beautiful story, preparing for the true, perfect champion to come, Jesus Christ. So how do we look to him? How do we stay focused on him? And I, I will tell you this, I, I have not perfected this. I'm actually really bad at it. And it reminds me, I told you earlier that I coach wrestling, and right now the high school season's over with, but what we're doing is, is we're coaching elementary kids um, from kindergarten up to fifth grade on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And it's really um, frustrating because you sit down 25 elementary kids in a circle and you're trying to teach them very important wrestling moves and if a pin drops in that room they go from looking at you to looking at ADD is a worldwide epidemic right now I'm just telling you it just is and like you're, it's kind of funny because you're like actually teaching this and showing them this and you look up and literally all of them are not watching you. And you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, just get with a guy and start wrestling. I don't know. But it's frustrating because it's just a little tiny thing that gets them off what they're supposed to be focused on. It might be very easy to hear the command, run the race, fight the fight, and conclude that obeying that command and finishing the race and making it to glory depends decisively on us. But can I suggest to you that you're running the wrong race? You're fighting the wrong war. We are responsible to obey, yes, but the writer wants to encourage us to look to Jesus in that obedience. Looking to Jesus, Jesus the champion and perfecter of our faith. Being um, a youth pastor for the seven years that I was, we got just amazing opportunities for us to go to different mission trips and um, 
the last time I, I spoke to y'all, I didn't tell you about a mission trip. I told you about a ski trip, which were cool too. But um, on mission trips, you, you were really able to get out of your comfort zone and really press into the fact that there is a lost and dying world out there who need Jesus. And we uh, had opportunity to go to Guatemala several, uh, on several occasions. And this one particular occasion that we went, uh, we, we kind of were getting done with our work uh, a little early. And, and uh, we decided to go on a trip to a volcano. And uh, what I didn't know was we were actually going to go up to the volcano up the mountain where the lava spills out. And um, I had no idea that it was literally going to take us about three hours to get to the top of the mountain. And we got up there, and it was great, and we're, we're literally standing on lava that had hardened, and so you're kind of stepping around it. And this one particular case, as we were getting closer, closer to the literal literal lava that was coming out, spewing out, um, Joe Ragsdale, who was in my youth group, uh, had something uh, that distracted him, and I won't go into detail because it's gross, but um, he got distracted and he slipped on this lava rock and cut himself um, pretty badly. And so we're like, oh great, you know, Joe, he, this guy always cut himself. I don't know why we, we'd go on other trips and he'd fall in glass and yeah, one time we went to the hospital after he did it, and some lady thought he was my son. I'm like, are you serious? Um, but anyways, sorry. So he cut himself, and we're like, okay, and we tried to wrap it up and get it tight to where he wasn't bleeding everywhere or whatever. And then we went and saw and just the beauty of God. I mean, we, we saw other mountains. We saw lava, and it was really enjoyable. Well, then all of a sudden, we, we have to leave because the sun's going down. And I didn't know really what that meant in its entire truth. But what that meant was, is if we didn't get off that mountain really, really fast, we're going to go down on a three-hour tour in darkness. And we literally started our journey down with hardly any daylight. And we have a three-hour trail in front of us. And so... 20 minutes into it, into the hike down, I can't see my hand in front of my face. We had to trust the guy who knew the mountain, who had been on this. We had to trust him that he would help us get down this mountain. And so we're holding hands the entire three-hour tour down the mountain, following this guy, and he's just loving it. He's like, yeah, these guys are scared. And, and so, but it was trust. It was faith in knowing that he knew what he was doing. And can I suggest to you this morning, that's our Savior. We can trust him. We can have faith in the fact that he has won this race. We can tap into the Son of God. He has given us the perfect model for faith from start to finish. He, tr- he trusted his father from beginning to end in his earthly race. And I love the POJ study that we do on Fridays because what it shows us is that he constantly was evaluating his father's will. Constantly. Checking in with his father. He is the provider and sustainer of our faith from start to finish. 
One of the passages that I keep going back to in this book, especially when we go through those scary passages that we did in chapter 6 and chapter 10, where it's like, oh gosh, what's the writer saying there? Am I losing my salvation? Oh, you know, which I think Jonathan and Drew did a great job explaining that. But one of the things that helps me get through this is what we're going to get to in a couple of weeks in Hebrews 13, 21. It says, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you, that y- which is pleasing in his right sight through Jesus Christ. Did you get that? He says, working in you, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And then you saw the verse in your worship folder where it would make a wonderful wonderful sermon if Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says work out your own salvation and I have to admit to you I have been guilty of this well you know what working out means it means you need to read your bible more build up those spiritual muscles it means you need to memorize scripture more build up and what it does is it there's nothing wrong with those things but what happens is is it makes working out our own salvation up to us instead of the one who gave it to us And that's why the scripture goes on to say it is God working in you. So the God who began a good work in us is going to complete it through Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. So don't even begin to think that finishing this race will redound to your glory because it doesn't depend on your strength. You're fighting the wrong battle And I want to tell you that that battle is exhausting. And so what helps me is it really helps me to understand the grasp of how sinful I am. And I know that sounds weird. I know that sounds backwards. But if I can grasp more full how how sinful of a person I am, if I can just grasp the reality of that, what it does is just, just magnifies How much Jesus loves me and empowers me. And so I kind of um, have in my headphones uh, when I'm running, uh, I I like to listen to this song who has this quote from John Piper in it that really gives me a good definition of how sinful I am. And I'm just going to read this to you because I want you to feel the weight of how sinful you are. And then hopefully feel the weight of how much God loves you in Christ. John Piper says, Indeed, God is exceedingly great. And the only reason someone has a low view of God and a high view of self is because they have a low view of sin. He goes on to say that sin is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not savored. The fullness of God, not trusted. The promise of God, not relied upon. The commandments of God, not obeyed. The justice of God, not respected. The wrath of God, not feared. The wrath of God, I'm sorry, not feared. The grace of God, not cherished. 
The presence of God not prized and the person of God not loved. Guilty. But he goes on to say, and that is why we sing how great thou art. That is why the sweet sound of saving grace is surpassingly sweet. The exceedingly great God has taken our exceedingly sinful sin and placed it on his son. This great God has taken the sins of liars, idolaters, and the rest of his enemies and has placed them on his son and there poured out his wrath on Jesus. Becoming sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did it. We didn't. We can rest in that truth. And that's how we keep focused on Jesus Christ as the founder and perfecter of our faith. Before I get to point three, Paul Miller just says this about this simple approach to keeping our eyes focused. He says, what scripture teaches us is that Jesus' whole life is a substitution. His whole life. So lastly, looking forward to our prize, which is joy. Again, his death is what brought him his joy. And we're going to get to that in a second. And our life in him is what brings us our joy. The life that he lived was looking forward to a brutal death on on a cross. And the life that we live through him, we get to spend eternity with him at the end. Think about that contradiction. It's scandalous. When we look to Jesus, one of the things we see in verse 2 is that this champion of, of his life that he won the perfected work of our rescuing was sustained by the joy that was set before him. Look in verse 2. It says this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What God wants us to do when we look to Jesus and see is that there is this word joy that is really strange in this life that Jesus lived. It's a word that you can kind of overlook by such, the, such magnitude of, of the events that happen in Jesus' life. We see the miracles. We see that he was a man of many sorrows. We see... He died a brutal death on a cross. He took on God's wrath. And and if we look at all of the things that Jesus did, we we can kind of not see the, the big theme of why he did that. It's for joy. Well, what's this joy? And um, I tried to conjure up my own definition for for this, but I'm not very good at at it. And so what I wanted to try to do is um just read a quote. <laughs> and we quote him a lot because he's really good at articulating uh, different points throughout Scripture. But uh, Tim Keller, 
on this passage and this word joy in verse 2 of chapter 12. It says this, what was the joy set before Jesus? Jesus Christ came and ran a race. Jesus Christ came and put all of his desires, all of his um, desires, sorry, to something. And we are told it was for this word joy. For the joy set before him, he ran the race and he endured. But what was it? Well, you say, it was for a crown. It was for the glory. He had the glory. He had the crown already. It was for God. He had God. It was for the relationship with his father. He had a relationship with his father. All before this. So why would he have come down here What joy did he not have? The only possible thing that we would have, I'm sorry, the only possible thing that would have brought Jesus down here, the only thing he didn't have was you, was me, was us. The joy that was set before him was us. We are his Rachel. Remember, Jacob loved Rachel so much that seven years seemed like a few days. Jesus Christ loved us so much that the cross was something he was able to take. Now, while you're thinking about that, I want you to think about something else. If Jesus was that motivated to save the very people who hated him, because he knew it would bring him joy, can you imagine what eternity is going to be like with him. That's our motivation for this race. We get God. All the other things, all the other blessings that come along the way, those are great. Those are great. But at the end, we get the very one who created us. So some of the things that might get us off track, and then I'm done. There's nothing more frustrating in the world when you see someone who should be working hard, especially at a, a, a race where you're depending on them, and they just simply relax. They just simply give in. Battling the tendency to relax and lose focus is tough. The situation seems to be that the Hebrew Christians had gotten tired. A lot of time had passed since they were first fired up for Jesus. And that's why we see the writer say in Hebrews chapter 10, Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle. They had begun to relax. The situation is very serious, the writer says. And we saw that in chapter 6 and chapter 10. So this passage in 12 is their trumpet, trumpet call. It's the gun at the beginning of the race where it fires off and it reminds them that we have a race to run. So what does the writer suggest that we do? Well, you see it. Continued on in verse 1. It says, So let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Lay aside every weight. 
and sin that clings so closely. Why? Because it so easily distracts us. We're like those little kids in the wrestling room. We're, we just, it just takes something simple to get our eyes off of the race that we're running. So this morning, I hope this challenge is literally in your mind testing you and, and asking the question in your mind, are you relaxing? Do you have a tendency to just bail Because what the writer is asking us to do is to consider the race that Jesus already won for us. That means getting things out of your life that makes you more worldly minded and putting things on in your life that makes you more gospel minded. So last week Drew was up here and he confessed the life of an introvert. Well, I'm an extrovert. So basically what that means is I'm the opposite of Drew. I find my security with affirmation from other people. I have to be around people. I have to be liked by them. You you combine that with my daddy issues that I've had from a divorce when I was younger, a legalistic background, and you have a disaster waiting to happen. It's funny because like when I walk in sometimes in the morning in the office, it looks like a scene from Buddy the Elf where his dad decides to bring him into the office one day so he wouldn't get in trouble at the house and break things. And he walks into his dad's office and he's in his suit and tie and he's asking his dad a hundred thousand questions. What kind of coffee are you drinking? What's that mug? Is that your desk? Wow, it's a pretty desk. And goes on and on and on and on and on. And so his dad says, just go down to the mail room. Get out of my sight. And sometimes I feel like that because Jonathan and Drew, in the morning, they don't want to be bothered. And so when I walk in and I walk in their office and I'm like, so how's your day? What do you got planned? What are you preaching on this week? What songs are we going to sing? That was a great Sunday, wasn't it? And they're just like... Go to the mail room. (laughs) So if I text you and you don't text me back, I've offended you somehow. If I call you and leave you a message and you don't call me back, what did I do wrong? It's the life of an extrovert. So if I don't keep my eyes on Jesus, every minute of my day is a mess. It's a mess. We all are like that. When we lose focus on the very one who not only birthed us into his kingdom, but also provided us with the energy to dive in, we're a mess. So let's run this race together. Let's fight the fight of faith because God is our faithful He will finish his saving work in our lives. And I promise you, the Bible says that we have one ginormous party that we're going to be participating in. And it will be worth it. Let's pray.
God, we come before you this morning and are just thankful for the fact that we can study sections of Scripture and really be tested by it. I think that in my own life, um, running this race, keeping my eyes on Jesus is something that is so simple to read, but so incredibly hard to do. And so God, I just ask as we are now just meditating, and as we sing these songs of response, God, that you would help us and bring us to repentance but also encouraging us that we have a joy that is set before us like Christ did. That we get to spend eternity with the very one who has provided eternity for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Jesus, we need joy to make it through the cross we bear. Uh, to the glory and the crown that will be ours, as Steve's talked about. And so if, like me, you need joy this morning, a joy set before you, the way you get that is to see that you were his joy. And the more that you see that you were his joy and that it was his love for you that caused him to endure the cross, the more he will become the joy of your life and you'll be able to endure as well. And so before we take communion this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to sing a song. Uh, for you. You may be familiar with it. You may not be. That's okay. Um, But just listen to these words. Prepare your heart to come to the Lord's table this morning to receive uh, what you so, the nourishment you so desperately need. Um, But listen to this song. It's something different than we, this is really different than what we normally do around here, okay? Um, But it it is something that just screams out uh, wonderment of the the joy of the love that God has for us. It's called uh, How He Loves. Like a hurricane, I am a tree bending 
Amen. The hope that you and I have is, as the passage tells us this morning, look to Jesus. And in looking to Jesus, we will mark or we will run the race that's been marked out for us. So as you go, receive the benediction, which is a promise that his presence and his power are with you as you are looking to him. So he is enabling you as you go to look toward him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.